This is the missing link to you leading projects more successfully. Do you mind if I tell you a story? You see, family, one of the things I learned about uh, project management is a lot of times through leadership. What do you mean, ED? Of course, experience has played a role, but I love what Dan Kennedy talks about, about following the individual or the pioneers that already have arrows in their back. That translate to of saying that there's people that probably already been where you've been or where you want to go in so many words. And so there's been a lot of times where I engaged in with leadership and asked them questions of, hey, how did you handle this? And what I'm doing is, is what I always talk about here on the channel family is building my toolbox up because if this ever comes up or if this ever this issue or this opportunity or whatever it may be, I already have a response and watch this family. I will take what I've learned from the from, you know, someone that has provided me that leadership and, and put my own spin and craft it in the way that I want to uh, craft it. So today's episode is entitled what your boss doesn't tell you, project management mastery. I have an eight point framework after those eight, eight points, I'm out. I go by the name of ED for all you smart and intelligent folks out there. That just simply means Ed. Let's jump into the uh, point number one, influence without authority. Oh man, oh man. You, you know what, family, I, I said I wasn't going to do this. I said I was going to push through and get through these, these eight points without, but I can't. That I, I, I'm sorry. So forgive me in advance. I ask for your apologies, but there's so many people got those backwards. What do you mean? People think authority is a f influence. No, 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 no. Being able to influence really does uh, without authority really allows you to be successful. As a project manager, you don't have authority. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care how they mislead you. Technically, if you do not have direct reports, you do not have authority. So you have to have that influence. That's why I wrote the book, The Magnetic Project Manager, because I understood project management is really about influence or what I learned from Russell Bronson, which is that attractive character being that attractive character. And that doesn't mean about looks is meaning that how do you persuade or how do you convince people that work on your team to do something where they could easily say, nope, I don't want to do it. I don't work for you. So it's the influence that you have. Now, when you work in a, when you work in an exceptional organization, they create the influence for you in which they say, hey, this project is a priority number one, not two, not 10. And what we need to do, we need to get the, these timelines. So in, in so many words, them being able, them being leadership to set the expectation. And then now you have the opportunity to hold a people accountable. But as a, as a project manager, you do not have authority. So you have to find ways to influence your stakeholders to ensure that they want to go on this ride along with you. Let's move on to point number two. Resource alchemy. Oh boy, oh boy, boy. I've had to learn how to garner this skill more and more over the past couple years, even probably even longer. Well, yeah, really more in these past couple years is because um, the reason why I say that family is a lot of times on projects, you may, you may have stakeholders that are on like, you know, multiple projects. And if that's the case, 
them you have they have to make a decision which one is a priority do i work on do i work on ed's project or do i work on rob's project and in how much time do i get it so being able to fill in the gaps i got in trouble last time in the comments about you know um, the collaboration aspect of being able to to fill in the gaps I, I would love to get your feedback if you're a project manager what would you do if you had the opportunity to fill in the gaps for stakeholders temporarily as they're coming back and forth between projects? Would you would you fill in the gaps or would you just wait until they get back to do it? Me personally, and this this is subjective, but this is me personally. If I'm able to fill in the gaps because I know our resources is, is thin, that's why the title is for this is called Resource Alchemy, is that what it allow me to do is give that stakeholder confidence that they, and plus I don't burn them out. And see, that's another thing we don't we don't remember, we don't recall a lot of times, you know, that we may end up burning that stakeholder out if we can't give them proper support. Unfortunately, yes, there's a resource constraint. Now, what are we going to do about it? Are we gonna sit back and pout or are we gonna fill in the gaps or find creative ways to fill in the, in the gaps? Okay, let's move on to point number three. Conflict resolution mastery. What does that mean? That means you're going to have conflicts. I always share this. Conflicts are not always bad, but they're not always good either. Can you have the 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 courage, or as as my uncle would say, do do you got the gut to to handle this? Because if you don't have the gut, then it's not even worth you jumping into this profession because you're all, you're going to get pushed back a lot of times, especially when you're working technical pro, uh, projects. And if you're not technical savvy, they'll give you a timeline. Uh, I remember there's one I was working with a resource and I said, how long is this going to take you? Uh, oh, we'll be done in two weeks. And I'm like, two weeks? That just don't sound right. And I said, well, what what all are the things that you're, you, you have to do to get this done in two weeks? And so they start listing some things. And so I'm in my mind, I'm doing like, okay, that probably take a couple of days. I said, let me, I said, let me ask you that question again. Are you sure that it's going to take you two weeks? Yeah, 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 I'm sure. All right, well, let me talk with your leadership to see um, if we can get some of those things moved. Well, you know what, AD, don't even worry about it. You know what, I'll, I'll, you know what, let me, let me get, I'll be able to get it done in probably a week, uh, a week now. And I said, dang, that's strange. How about, how about three days? Can we meet in the middle? And it's all, this is, this is a game of being able to, again, deal with conflict and, and have the courage to be professional um, but yet still be stern in what your approach is and challenge the team, not to burn them out, but challenge them to understand that, hey, if there's if there's competing priorities, which most of the time there is, how do we ensure that the things that you're working on doesn't invade in what we got to get done over here and that you get the proper support so we can continue to collaborate and move forward. Let's move on to point number four. You know, they say change is inevitable. So our point number four is change as a constant. Listen, family, if you get into this thing that I love that I hope that you fall in love with called project management, change is con will continually happen. Now, a lot of people get it twisted, get it misconstrued that, oh, if I'm running a predictive uh, project, basically a waterfall, or even a SDLC, a software development life cycle type project. Oh, there's, you know, there's not a lot of change because you got step by, but honestly, there is. What happens if you get ready to implement the thing and then you find out, ooh, the code is bad. So now we got to go back to, we got to change the code. But if, with us changing the code, we got to go through a, a documentation process in which uh, allow us to, to ensure that we don't make that mistake again. Plus, 
we got to go through the change board because now our timelines are affected. So we may need to rebase the, the project schedule and we may even need to rebase. I mean, we, we may even look at the scope as well. So there's so many moving pieces. And, and with that's the case, change is going to happen. And if you don't like change, if you like and if you don't like being uncomfortable, Mm, project management is it may not be the role for you i'm not i don't want to be a dream killer and tell you that because if you're listening to this then i know project management is possibly or potentially for you so what i'm saying is is that you have to be ready for these changes and not run from them watch this family run to them because that way you're going to learn something you know i don't i don't know how many times that i've learned more and being uncomfortable than I did comfortable. And I hate to admit that. And the reason why I say I hate to admit that is because being uncomfortable is not fun. I don't care what they tell you. I love what Tim Grover uh, talked about in his book. One of my favorite books of all time It's in my top five, of course, but uh, unstoppable. And what he talks about is, is that he, he, he was talking about, uh, about the you know having the athlete's mind you you know you may not never be an athlete but he was saying you don't have to love the work meaning doing the exercises doing the things that's going to be required but you got to enjoy the you but you can but the results will pay for the work that you're putting in translation let me unpack that what he was saying was hey you may be uncomfortable doing doing this thing here of now we got to make another change now we got to make another pivot but the outcome of your project finishing with or your project finishing within the triple constraints on time under uh, under under budget uh within scope as well as quality you're appreciative of, of that because yeah it was uncomfortable yeah you did you had a couple conflicts and a couple rumbles uh you know professionally but the outcome is what matters that's why they hired you to deliver that particular project let's move on to point number five Mentorship and knowledge sharing. You know, I wish project managers would do more of this. And I used to enjoy, there was an organization I worked for that we would get together like on a quarterly basis or even, and once they seen value, we were getting together on a monthly basis. And basically how it would work, it wasn't the standard, okay, we're, we're having a PMO meeting and we're going, we're going to throw a whole bunch of things. That, no, 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 it wasn't that. It was, hey, we want to hear from the project manager. So, hey, let's let's talk. And sometimes the project managers would get together and run their own deal because it was like we didn't we wanted to talk about things that were actually working, not not theories, not things that we think. No, things that were actually ha happening and working on our project. And these were valuable lessons, family. When you get a chance to work with other project managers, and they may work in a whole different sector. They may work in finance. They may work in HR. And, and but the but being able to learn what we were able to learn uh, about different projects, we were able to take some of those nuggets and and implement them in our projects. And then mentorship, uh, mentorship is is key. You know, I I don't care if some somebody say, oh, you don't need no mentor, you, you might as well not even listen to them anymore because I. Every 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 time I've able to got getting better, be getting better besides actually doing the work, mentorship has been a key asset in my life, or coaching has been a key asset because again, going back to what I, that quote I used about Dan Kennedy of being able to. Uh, look at pioneers that already have arrows in their back, which is a translation of just saying, "Hey, somebody's been there. 
Let's see what we can learn from them and being able to learn from them and then watch this family apply that learning because sometimes we'll read books and, and, and listen to information, but we don't apply it. Being able to apply it is, is definitely key. Let's move on to point six. Risk fortitude. What is risk fortitude? Listen, there's one thing when you read about the risk in uh, project management, uh, or I should say the PMBOK guide, and it's like, oh, okay, risk management, let's put a nice little cute risk management plan together, and then we'll identify the risk, and after we identify the risk, we'll, and then you realize, hmm, okay, the structure is right, what I just named, but uh, we got to go live. Do we want to take this risk or are, are the team risk averse? Hey, Matt, hey, leadership, this is this is what the risk is. If we make this implementation, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to meet all of the aspects of the triple uh, the, the triple <laughs> the iron triangle. However, if we don't, then what's going to happen is, is that we're going to have to push this back maybe a week or two. Uh, do you want to take the risk of maybe there may be some downtime in the business or would you rather us go back and replan? Well, how big is the downtime? Then you start that dialogue and see you don't get the. a lot of times we don't we don't learn that, uh, especially in the scholastics aspect of things. And that's a piece of negotiating, because when you're in front of leadership, they're going to they're going to ask you, well, OK, how many clients may go down or how much of the business is going to uh, be affected? Ten percent, 50 percent, like and you need to be able to be ready to answer those questions. And please, please, here, here, here's a here's a, here's a free one. If you do not know the answer, do not make up anything. Please don't make up anything. You know, I learned that really early on in my career where I, I had, a, again, a mentor, project manager mentor, and he was like, listen, if you don't know the answer, just use this simple faith, uh, use this simple response. And I hope that you guys uh, uh, take this response as well, because it's very effective and it's very truthful. I do not have all the uh, I don't have enough information to answer that correctly. Again, I do not have enough information to answer that correctly. However, and this is what I picked up on over time because people started challenging that. And again, in anything in life, once you learn and once you uh, have an opportunity to use something and apply it and you realize, OK, there's more to what I need to, to add. I was like, however, I will go back and I would give a timeline, say, hey, I'll get you the answer within two days or 24 hours. Uh, but right now, I do not have enough information to answer that accurately. If anyone if anyone dissuades you and trying to tell you, well, give me a number anyway, don't do it because you will be held accountable for that number. I'm just telling you, this is just wisdom in the making. Point number seven, legacy building. What I meant by legacy building is being able to um, be able to run projects really smoothly, even though you're going over bumps. Oh, I like that. Let me tell you why I like that, because there's no such thing as a smooth project. There's no such thing as a, um, a pro well, and maybe it is. I haven't ran into it. And, and if someone's out there that that's had a smooth, easy, no disruptions, no conflicts, no issues with the triple constraints, no, none of these things, please leave a comment for me because I would love to learn how you did it. Um, because there are going to be some challenges because it's unique. Now, I'm not talking about an operate. I'm talking about a really, truly unique project. And that's what project projects are. They have a unique uh, aspect of it. So, again, being able to take these issues or these risks or these conflicts and just the opportunity for growth and 
and and make it through you're creating some you're creating a legacy of where people want to turn to you and have you work on these these major projects trust me family and last and final point listen data driven uh making basically what i'm saying is is that being able to, as a project manager being able to um, also to be able to look at data as well as being able to trust your instinct and weighing the two like okay my instinct is saying I don't know what I was sharing the story about the person that was you know misguiding me on how long it was going to take and my instinct was like man but I didn't have the data to back that up and I said well that's when I started asking those data type driven questions. And that's what we have to do, family. If your instinct, if you're feeling like, man, this just doesn't sound right. Now you need to go, you need to go dig deeper. You need to go, as, as my guys say, go do your homework to figure out what is actually going on here. So anyway, family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I go by the name of E.D. Until next time, you know my slogan, or you don't. I'm out.